For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, it's a midweek edition of Birds 365 here on the Make Jacob Media YouTube channel. You got the Mac and Mac guys. That would be John McMullen and Jordan McDonald here to hang and spend two hours talking Eagles football with you. Good morning, partner. How are you today? Good morning, Jody. Uh, it's another day. It's a Wednesday. Birds 365. We march on. Yes, we do. Uh, get over that midweek hump and uh, head toward a weekend of football. Well, no football. There's no football now. But there is football talk. And uh, the esteemed general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, Howie Roseman, made an appearance yesterday on Angelo Cataldi's morning show on WIP. And Howie talked about winning as many games as possible this upcoming year. What was the exact phrase that Jeff Glory used uh, after Tran they fired? Transitional. Phase. Transitional. That yeah. the Eagles were in a transitional phase, and this could be a transitional season. And everyone has their own definition of what transitional means and what Jeff Glory meant when he said it. Well, yesterday, listening to Howie Roseman on WIP, I would say he was flying in the face of that. He's talking about winning as many games as possible. <laughs> He went back to the 2016 season when he said some people said we were in the beginning of a five-year plan and it took us only 12 months to get mm. to where we needed to get to. Okay, I think Howie's setting the bar a little high with this current roster that they have that uh, just uh, back in 2017 went to the Super Bowl and won it all. Oh, so is that what you're saying, Howie? I was kind of taken aback by his optimism and or his slant on things. Were you surprised at Howie Roseman went there? Not really. I mean, we talked about this last week, I think, when we compared, and I don't think it's apples to apples when you compare, obviously, the Sixers process with the Eagles transition. Look, the Sixers tried to lose for m multiple years. I told you at the time, the Eagles are not going to try to lose at all they kind of realize they're not in a position to win. That's, you know, and by win, I mean championships. And that's what I think Jeffrey Lurie was talking about when he was mentioning a transitional phase. I think people got used to the Eagles being in the com conversation, at least as a legitimate contender. They're not in that conversation any longer. And they have to regroup. Uh, get younger, get more cost-effective, and that's what he was talking about with the transition. They were always going to try to win every game. The problem is they're not equipped to win every game. I think we all realize that. Now, the second part of that, the second good part of that is, look, Jody, we see worst to first in the NFL every single year because of two things mainly. It's an unbalanced schedule, 16, now 17 games, in a 32-team league, so everybody doesn't play everybody. You have, you have a, a tiered scheduling system where the schedule is more difficult for the first-place teams than the last-place teams. So there's already built in an opportunity to get a little bit better as a bad team because you're playing other 
bad teams, at least from last season. And then, look, you can just turn this around quickly in the NFL. You get the quarterback, you get a couple playmakers, and bang, you go from six wins to nine wins, and you're at least in the playoff conversation. Before I disagree with you, um, I need to have one <laughs> one question. Wow. And I should Come know on. the I should know the answer, and I don't, and shame on me, so I'm gonna need to get it from you. Uh, in the new 17-game world that is the National Football League, how did they decide the 17th game this year? I know it's all interconference games. It's AFC against NFC. But and they pick with- a division, and they rotate. So NFC East versus AFC East, uh, so forth and so on. And then they'll rotate each year. So all the teams, I, I believe, play each other. So I haven't looked at the schedules. Obviously, the schedule come out May 12th. We have the big uh, giveaway here, Devontae Smith. Everybody subscribe to the YouTube channel, Jacob Media Sports. Um, So every year you have, you know, the home game you mentioned yesterday is going to be against the Jets. It's going to be up at MetLife Stadium. So you have two things. You have the, the, the flip from year to year from AFC, NFC. And then that 17th game is going to be locked into a division uh, for each division, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not understanding it. Maybe. uh, So, in other words, the Cowboys, the first place, the Cowboys, Giants, Washington football team, Eagles will play all the AFC East teams this year uh, for that 17th game. Matching up the last place team against the last place team, third place team against the third place team. I believe so. I I have to check on that part, but I believe so. Because it is, the Jets were in last place. You know that. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) You don't need to remind me of that. Um, Well, that lessens my disagreement with you somewhat. I do think it is overstated uh, by you and anybody else who ever makes the argument um, that, the schedule balances things out that I don't think it balances. I think it's unbalanced. Depends on the year. Right. Uh, But But you you were attempting to make a point that the schedule uh, is something that keeps the teams from being that bad that long because they match up against other lesser lights. If this is the way they're going to do it going forward with the 17th game, that it's going to be another game where you're specifically matched up against a team in another division that finished in the same place you do, well, then you're now up to three, uh, three-seventeenths of the season. Because right now, until they added the 17th game, two of your games were determined by where you finished the year before. Two out of 16. That's not a whole hell of a lot. And that's why I say the power of the schedule is oftentimes, in my estimation, overrated that because you finish oh you get to play a last place schedule two out of your eight 16 games are determined against other last place teams if it goes to three now it actually gets a little bit you're up to almost 20 percent of your schedule it's still less than 20 and two out of 16 is significantly less than 20 i think that whole when you finish last you get the last place schedule is woefully overrated Well, I will say, and again, I didn't say balanced. I said unbalanced. It gives you an opportunity. This is a a parody-driven league since the days of Pete Rozelle. You and I know that name. You know, older fans will know that name. That was his sort of ethos uh, to get everybody involved, which I think, by the way, is a really good thing. You see 
the hope and expectation in most fan bases around the NFL, whether it's realistic or not. Uh, my point is, it's already a small schedule when you compare it to the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. So all these games are meaningful. And if you're playing a good team, the difference between some of these teams is 10 and 6, 9 and 7. That will add the extra game. That's how close it is. So two games could mean everything. All, all I'm saying is it makes it easier. One of the reasons people say, why are there worst to first literally every year in the NFL? That's a big reason for that because the difference between six and 10 and 10 and six in this league could be razor, razor thin. Couple injuries, couple easier games against a couple harder games. Remember the back end of that, Jody. That means that the first place team has the harder games in those two, in theory. Now, sometimes it doesn't even work out that way. Right. Because sometimes the last place team turns into the good team and the first place team has a bad year and has bad injuries, but I'm saying it helps. It certainly helps. In theory, it should always help, but I'm just pointing out that, uh, again, this is my perception of the way people describe it. Oh, you get a last place schedule. You get a schedule that includes two out of your 16 games. If you're right about the way that they're going to schedule going forward, uh, three of your 16 games, which, again, is a little bit more, uh, but still isn't a ton. I, I don't think the schedule is the main mover and shaker of teams going from worst to first. I do think you, you touched on something I absolutely believe, and there's nothing you can do about it, is injuries. You get a key injury in the quarterback position, your best defensive player. Yeah, you can be screwed. It doesn't matter whether you're playing other last-place teams or not. You're playing other last-place teams with your team being lesser than it should be because of injuries. I think that's a much bigger factor, factor than the actual scheduling. And uh, as a matter of fact, coming up in a couple of days, we're going to have a uh, sports doctor on to talk about injuries and the like, because uh, that, to me, is a key element of what the Eagles did and the reason why my antenna sprung up when Howie Roseman said, we're going to try and win as many games as we possibly can. If that were the case, why did you take a guy like Landon Dickerson with your second round pick, an individual who's had a litany of injuries so far in his career before ever getting to the highest level, the National Football League, and a positional player that you're hoping not to have to force into the lineup in year number one, that all your top flight offensive line talent is back and no longer injured and ready to go. So you can take a build them up type year with Dickerson. Um, I, those two things just didn't jive for me. We're doing everything to win every single game, every single year. Yet you take a project offensive lineman in the second round. Yeah, I don't know if he's a project from a performance standpoint. I think that's why they took him. He's pretty uh, pretty good prospect from just if, if you put it in a vacuum and say, well, this kid can play. Um, I think it's a, a, a project from a health standpoint, as you mentioned. And Howie Roseman called, you know, said he doesn't want to be risk averse, which I think is interesting because the one of the things I always point to with this uh sort of draft team, this personnel team with the Eagles is the lack of consistency from year to year with what they say, what they do. Uh, one year it's about college performance. One year it's about uh, the measurables, the analytics. One year it's about 
uh, what we're saying right here, let's take a risk. One year it's like, oh, let's not take a risk. Let's be very cautious because of injuries. There's no consistency. Uh, even in this draft, you can go one, two. I have no idea if Justin Fields was on the Eagles board. But, you know, in theory, the epilepsy news could have affected them. They could have put a red flag on them, and then it would be understandable why they're not even concerning, uh, considering him. Then in the second round, they take a kid with, you know, two ankle surgeries, two <laughs> knee surgeries. Doesn't make any sense. In, in theory, you go back to DK Metcalf. I always say, you know, they treated him like a leper because of a previous neck injury. You know, they weren't going to consider him until day three if he fell or as a priority free agent. Uh, they just essentially took him off their board. Right. People don't realize that. Um, when they say they should have taken DK, it wasn't even in the consideration. It wasn't like they said, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is a better player than DK Metcalf. It was this guy's off the board because of medical concern. So that's what I'm talking about when I say lack of consistency. Where, where is that consistency? Why Dickerson? Why not Metcalf? Why Sidney Jones? You know, doesn't make, there's no consistency. Here's why I term him a project pick in the second round. We'll take your uh, point completely out of it. Let's assume Landon Nickerson shows up first day, rookie minicamp, and is healthy for the next 365 days. Has no issues whatsoever. He's good to go. He's practicing. Uh, he doesn't have any relapses that he is as healthy as healthy can be for 100% for the next year. Where is he starting on the Eagles offensive line this year? Yeah, well, I see what you're saying about 2021. So you're saying it's, I don't consider a pick for 2022 or beyond a project pick necessarily. Oh, I do. Your, um, sec your second round pick and best case scenario in your mind is potentially he never sees the field. Well, I will we're say. Good enough at the positions that he plays. That's that almost the stone cold definition of project. We're going to use a second round pick on a guy and we're going to put him off to the side and say, see you in a year, big guy. Well, there to me, a project pick is he's not ready to play because he's not developed enough to play. So we just have definitions of project pick, but his concern, remember he tore his ACL in the SEC championship game. So you know, the Eagles did say this is not going to be a redshirt season for him, but he wouldn't be ready most likely week one anyway. We'll see, you know, the timing depending. They've made great advances, and that's why we'll have Dr. Jen Flynn on. She, she can talk about that as far as rehab. They think he's going to be ready to play at some point. I don't know if that's going to be week one. So, number one, from a health standpoint. Number two – I, I got to tell you, Jody, there are whispers around this league. There have been whispers for a while. The Eagles tried to move Brandon Brooks, number one. This could speed that up. That is a that is a big contract. That is a guy who tore two Achilles. You talk about health problems in three years. If you can get somebody to bite, you never know what happens. I will say it's interesting. We always talk about the quarterbacks. We always talk about Jalen Hurts. Uh, Carson Wentz, in the past few days, we've been talking about Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers. You have a situation where you have Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks, who now know the Eagles drafted a guy to replace one of them by 2022. True. So, um, but 
as far as, again, project versus, to me, you know, you look at some of these guys on day three and you talk about 240-pound edge rushers, that's a project. You got to build them up. You got to get them in your building. You got to put weight on them. You got to see what they can do. Landon Dickerson, again, no torn ACLs. That guy's ready to play day one. And then probably your theory would be a little bit more correct because you're saying, why are you going to waste Landon Dickerson? Uh, he's not, there's no position for him. But again, then I would look towards, well, this team's not ready to compete anyway. Right. That's, that's the point I'm trying to get to. Howie Roseman specifically said yesterday, yeah, but you, everybody hears what you Jerry. say. And I, to me, I heard, we're going to compete this year. We think we can make the playoffs this year. Well, if you think that, then I don't think you take a, yes, my definition, my word, project offensive lineman, and it's with the, you're picking the second round. Well, isn't there a difference between we're going to try to win every game, we, we're, we're going to win games, and – we're going to be Super Bowl contenders. I think there's there's a difference. Not, not when in the same sentence with a comma in between. Back in 2016, when they told us it was going to take five years, oh, and we won the Super Bowl. Well, then it's you're, you're tying those two things together. You're setting unrealistic hopes well, for Eagle fans. We're be, going, it, it, oh, Howie, you mean we're going to do the exact same thing we did in 2017 when we had a parade? Well, it wouldn't be the first time Howie said some stupid stuff i mean he that's, regrets that's my point he regrets the quarterback factory comment but he can't take it back i mean you know jeffrey Lurie said gm factory and he won't even listen to his freaking people i mean how is it a gm factory they say a lot of things that they probably shouldn't say i, I don't think a coach or a general manager um, saying we're going to try to win games is a bad thing. I don't think it's ever a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a bad thing when you go back to the Sixers and you got a general manager. And one of the reasons, you know, I'll get into that later, but one of the reasons, uh, you know, Sam Hickey's telling everybody, they, we're going to lose, we're going to lose, we're going to lose. But even then, Jody, even then, the coach and the players weren't trying to lose. Right. They weren't trying to lose. They were trying to win games. I think that's what Howie was trying to say. He's not always the best communicator. But they're not prepared to be a significant contender. I'm okay with Howie, and I liked his optimism yesterday. He sounded like he was in a good mood because, you know, Angelo, he's going to get you. If given the chance, he's going to jab you, he's going to pimp you, he's going to try and get you to say something that you might regret later. And Howie seemed to be up to the task, at least in my eyes, by suggesting that they're going to try and win every single game this year. There was no use of any phrase that let you know that we're, we're not expecting to go to the Super Bowl uh, like we did just several years ago. Um, it, 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 it sounded strange to me as a guy just sitting in wondering what the Eagles are going to be like a couple of days after the Eagles took significant steps in roster creation for not only this upcoming season, but seasons to go, and again, Jeff Laurie, when they let Doug Peterson go, was on record saying that Doug had too much of an emphasis on what we're going to be like in 2021. <laughs> well, that, by the way, that's another dumb statement. Jeffrey Laurie talking but about But he made it. Oh, Whether oh, it's dumb or not, he made it. Oh, Doug's trying to win games. We're not, we're not in that position. Yeah, no question. So pointing out, you know, the inconsistencies, I'll be the first to say, that's why I just said there's no consistency with this team. 
from a draft process, from a communication process, from a narrative process. So if you're looking for consistency, Jody, you got to look in another city. You're not going to get it with this grass. No, so if, if you're looking for consistency from day to day, week to week, year to year, you ain't getting it. I'm just pointing out that I'm going to point it out when the inconsistency pop up. And I thought it popped up yesterday when Howie made it sound like, hey, we got a chance to win this upcoming year. <laughs> and tying it back into when they just won the And we're going to have Dave Zangar on to talk further about this from NBC Sports Philadelphia. But real quick, I, I, I will say, you know, people are saying, well, Howie's got a hit on this draft. It's so important for him. No, it's not. He set himself up for 2022 with the three potential first-round picks. There's no pressure on that guy at all. He has convinced Jeffrey Lurie, we're going to be back in this thing by 2022. They're going to try to win games in 2021, but it's about 2022. And then the clock starts ticking. And I will at least give them that much. They aren't completely in the tank the way the process 76ers were, who just blatantly said, yeah, we're going to stink. Uh, no question. We need to stink to get higher draft picks. Howie Roseman at least didn't go there. You can, you can take heart in that, Birds fans. We are Birds 365. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, as John noted, uh, guest time. Dave Zingaro does a great job covering the Birds for NBC Sports Philadelphia. He's scheduled to join us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mack. 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. A Cinco de Mayo edition of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Sports Media Channel. He is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. I can guarantee you the only thing in my coffee is a little uh, cream and a little sweet low. <laughs> McMullen, you never know because he's got that metal container that he's drinking out of. There could be tequila in it. Let's find out if our guest has already started celebrating Cinco de Mayo. He's just a coffee guy like yours truly. From NBC Sports, Philadelphia, David Zingaro, good enough to jump aboard with us. Are you celebrating Cinco de Mayo yet, Zingaro? Uh, I have my mug here. I won't tell you what's in it, uh, but you can it, bet it's, it's just the coffee. the same way. That's why you do it. That's why you have Yeah, no one knows. There's, some, there's a secret behind it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Dave, uh, we are smart. See, great minds think alike. Good exactly. to see you, Dave. I guess we got to start draft your your first impressions of how the Eagles did. And obviously, some um, you know once Devontae Smith, I think everybody's excited about getting the playmaker, and then to me, day two is going to tell the tale of this draft moving forward. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I am too. I, I think the Devontae Smith pick is is pretty good, and I think everyone it felt like everyone was on board. The team, fans, reporters, like I think everyone likes that idea. The second round pick is, is going to go a long way in determining the success or failure of this draft. It's um, because the player is exceptional. I mean, I, I haven't heard one bad thing about Landon Dickerson, the player or the person. Um, the only thing you can say about him is that he's had injuries and it's, it's significant. I mean, we're talking about uh, two ACLs, two ankles in four of his five years in, in college. It's a lot. And I'll be honest, I don't think I would have, made that pick I, I think it's too risky but the Eagles know that the reward here could be huge I mean we're talking about this guy could be an all pro for them for for six seven eight years down the line it's scary though man this is the, this is the team that drafted Sidney Jones and uh, I I know that it's probably unfair to to really compare those two but it's too natural not to right I mean this is yeah um, this is a team that told us five years ago that yeah, Sydney wouldn't be here at 43 if not for the Achilles injury. And that's why we're taking him because we love the value. And that's a lot of the same things they're saying about Landon Dickerson. Now I know the, the injuries are different. I know the position is different. The player is different, but um, just the fact that they felt like they got such great value in the second round for a player that was injured is scary. And I mean, we're talking about the 37th pick. This is not like even a, a late second round pick. This is, a spot where you're talking about guys who a lot of us thought would go in the first round. So um, it's, it's scary. And, and as far as the rest of the draft, I like the Milton Williams pick more than Tom Donahoe. I think <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a solid pick. I, I really like the player. I like the upside. Uh, and then the rest we'll see. I like the Kenny Gainwell pick in the fifth round. I thought that was good value. And then after that, who knows? Um, I, I think uh, Toy Pelotu, Good value. I, I think there's probably a reason he was there in the sixth round, though. And then, you know, the later round guys, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know a ton about Teron Jackson, but uh, Jacoby Stevens is a guy at least we've seen a lot at LSU, and I like the idea of turning him into a linebacker. 
Now I'm going to quibble with Dave Zangaro. I already did it with Johnny McMullen, so why shouldn't I do it with Dave, too? Uh, you said everybody seemed to have liked the Devonta Smith pick. Oh, after the fact, yes. But there were a lot of opinions in this town that you can't take a 166-pound guy in the first round with that kind of a pay. He's not going to be able to play against NFL defensive backs. He's not going to be able to get off the line of scrimmage. And I've been a huge fan of his for two years, and I – Hello, give me the evidence that he can't do it. Other than you're not believing so, he's playing against SEC cornerbacks week in, week out, and all he ever did was win a Heisman Trophy. Uh, I, I would not say that everybody was on board with Devonta Smith prior to the draft. Once he became an Eagle, I think most of those critiques and or questions kind of dried up because people want to root for their Eagles, and once he puts on a green jersey, then you have to root for him, but... I don't think everybody was on board with picking Devonta Smith before Howie Roseman decided to trade up and do just that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but also, I don't want to completely discount the weight thing. I mean, there there is a concern there, and it's a concern the Eagles thought about. It's not like they just thought, ah, forget it. He he's he's skinny, but who cares? I mean, they really looked into it and they tried to figure out if he can translate to the NFL. It, it it's a weird case because there's really not a comparison. I mean, we've had little guys in the league before, but different body builds and, and never um, this high of a pick. I mean, this is uh, such a significant investment in a player. We're talking about the 10th overall pick. Even Marquise Brown a few years ago, it wasn't that significant of an investment. You look at Deshaun Jackson, he was a second round pick, <laughs> right? So, I mean, this is, it's, it's a lot to put into a player, but look, and, and maybe they're wrong. Maybe we're all wrong and, and the weight will matter, but there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence going back to his time in Alabama, where he, I mean, he, we all saw what he did and, and he did it against great competition. And the thing I really like about him is that he's just so technically proficient um, that you feel more comfortable. It, it, honestly, you kind of feel more comfortable with him than a guy who just won with his athleticism in college, because uh, not to say he's not athletic, because he is in his own way and, and he has great hands and great body control and all that stuff. And that's part of athleticism. But <clears throat> what I mean is like, he's not a, a six, four monster. Who's just, you know, kind of mossing people. He's not doing that. Um, the way he won was running great routes, being technically proficient uh, and, and using his high football IQ. So all those things should translate. He's already ahead of his time in a lot of those areas. And now he's going to a coaching staff with um, a head coach. that's a former wide receivers coach, a former wide receiver. So I, I really like the pick and I'll be honest, he was not my top guy. When we talked about, the, the choices that might be there. Patrick Sertan was my guy. I, I really thought that was the safest pick of the areas where, or the guys that would have uh, had a chance to take. And I like the idea of, of a corner, but uh, Devonte Smith is a really solid pick. I thought they couldn't go wrong with any of those four guys. When we talk about Smith, Waddle, Sertan or Horn, the, the four guys who kind of got talked about the most. And the more I've heard about Smith, honestly, since he's been drafted, the more I like him. Uh, you can't find a person who's been around the Alabama program in the last few years that has anything bad to say about him on or off the field. So um, sometimes I know it's, it's that stuff gets overblown, the leadership aspect of it, um, but he's kind of an alpha. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Jalen Hurts, just that kind of quiet confidence that you know, he's not going to talk a lot in the locker room, but um, when, when he opens his mouth, the rest of the team's going to listen. And there's just something about him. It, it, and it kind of, sounds kind of hokey to like call it that it factor, but I, I think there's something <clears> there. He's, he's kind of, he acts like the man. And uh, I think he's going to kind of bring that to the Eagles locker room. 
All right, let me play devil's advocate here, Dave, because I'm one of those guys. I say 166 pounds. I would say Jody, and I have said the evidence is there aren't a lot of 166-pound guys that have had success in this league at wide receiver long term. You mentioned Deshaun Jackson. Obviously, he would be most notable. Deshaun Jackson's about speed. This guy's a well-rounded, well-crafted, as you mentioned, receiver. I asked Nick Sirianni. He plans to play him at X, Z, flex, everywhere. Great route runner. Great yards after catch guy. Plays like a 200-pounder. I think that hurts him. I think if you're 166 pounds and you're sticking your – your, your nose into the middle of the field, even in the modern NFL where it's not like it once was, where, you know, Ronnie Lott's taking off your head if you go over the middle. Um, Zach Ertz always says, Dave, the, the injury rate in this league is 100%. 166 pounds going inside, that concerns me. Yeah, I get it. Um, the flip side of that is I know there's never been – a player at 166 pounds that's maybe had the success the same way. But, um, and, and we talked about this kind of leading into the draft. Like, there's never been a guy this light that's been selected this early. Well, there's also never been a guy this light who's been this good. I mean, <laughs> there's no comparison, right? I mean, you look at what he did in college, and I know that you're drafting uh, projection, not production, but there's never quite been a guy. That I mean, what he just did in the SEC is is amazing, and there's never been a guy to do that before. So I don't think it's even fair to compare him to other guys who are that light. Uh, and that's what, yeah, I get that. That's what makes this um, a tougher pick in some ways, or or you're the tougher evaluation for a player like this. But he's a tough guy. I mean, I understand that he's not he's not built. Thickly, he's, he's not, you know, he's not a, a stout player, but he's played pretty tough. I mean, he's been injured before and he's played through it. Um, I, and I, there's the fear is going to be there and, and it's going to be there until he plays. But I think there are enough things to like about him that not that you overlook it, but you feel more comfortable with it. And it doesn't become the thing that takes him off your board or pushes him on your board because he's done so many things at a certain level and he does things that. I think help him. I mean, he's so smart. He's not taking hits when he doesn't need to. Um, he understands body control. He understands when to make a play, how to make a play that I think all those things help him at 166 pounds. Now, does it help him when he comes across the middle and gets decked? Probably not. And we'll see what happens if he pops back up, but I get the fear there, but there's just no evidence to, to support the idea that it, it's going to hinder him. Uh, your point, Johnny, about uh, Zacherts and the injury rate in the NFL is 100%. He's right. And that would have been the same with any player the Eagles drafted at 166 pounds and 320 pounds on the offensive or defensive line. He's part of that 100% who's going to get hurt, too. Hmm. So I, I, well, Except I acknowledge for Jim Zach, Marshall and Brett Farr. <laughs> well, I acknowledge that Zach is right. I'll also say thanks for covering the entire draft for us, Zach, with one statement. Speaking of Mr. Ertz, Mr. Zingaro, he's still here. Uh, haven't we gone down the road of it's a mere matter of days before Zach Ertz becomes an ex-Eagle, like two or three times this offseason, yet he's still on the roster, yet Howie Roseman talked about him after the draft, and he's still a quality player, and he 
Eagles are going to do what's best for the Philadelphia Eagles. Is there a chance that Zach Ertz is still here when training camp opens up? I'm not asking if he's going to show. I'm asking if he's still going to be on the roster. Training camp, maybe. Um, I, I have a hard time imagining he's going to be on the football team this year. Uh, I, I think I still think he's going to get traded or cut, and the cut happens well down the line if if he can't get traded and and he starts to to really make a fuss. But um, it, what how he said was basically, "Hey, this guy's still available. I don't like your offers yet. Come make me a better offer for this guy." And I understand he's he's playing this to try to maximize the value. But to me, it feels like the, the Carson Wentz situation all over again. It's that the, the player clearly isn't going to be here, and it's just about how he trying to, to get back as much value as he can. It, it made sense that it might happen during the draft, right? I mean, when even just when NFL GMs are talking, there's a greater chance that something goes down. And you thought maybe if they can get value and, and trade up somewhere and Earth can become a part of a package, that all made sense. Uh, but now the possibility is there that hey, maybe a team didn't get a tight end or maybe, you know, uh, all the way in the training camp, someone gets hurt and, and they're opportunistic that way. But um, it, it's a tricky situation because I think we already understand that the relationship between player and organization has been fractured in some way. Even if it was just uh, that he wanted the contract, he didn't get a contract. Even if it was just that, uh, it, it, not that you, you want to, bend to the player and really care about what the player wants because you want to maximize the value. You want to get as much back for him as you can, but we're talking about an all-time great player in the franchise, and I don't think you want to screw it up to the point where he doesn't want to come back here at some point and, and go on the wall of fame or whatever it is. I think you want to somehow do what's best for him at a certain point, uh, but you don't sacrifice that in, in, in favor of not getting value. So it's a tricky situation to be in. I still think he's going to be traded at some point. The great Dave Zangaro, I'm going to say that uh, out loud to Dave. Uh, read him at NBC Sports Philadelphia. Nobody does a better job covering the Eagles than Dave. You mentioned you alluded to Tom Donahoe. So I do want to get into that a little bit. I think it was overrated. I think it was overblown. I think it was a little dust up. The, the, that, the fact that evidently nobody knew the camera was there, Tom didn't know, or at least he claimed to Chris Mortensen uh, he didn't know, surprises me a little bit. But bottom line, we're arguing about a couple defensive tackles in the third round in, in a historically weak defensive tackle draft. And I'm with you, Dave. I think how we got it right, I'd rather have Williams than the two-down player McNeil. Is this – should we make more of it? Is this a bigger deal because of the Eagles' history? Uh, it looks like a bigger deal, right? I mean, that that was the thing. It was just – it's a really bad look right now for this team where there was so much talk about the importance of getting everyone on the same page and, and kind of moving past some of the dysfunction that we, we know existed, right? I mean, we know that um, last yeah. year how we went rogue a little bit and it, it ticked people off. So – for that to happen and for us to be talking about that so much. And then, you know, day two in the draft Friday night, we're all watching it. Like you gotta be kidding me. I think it's, it, it's more of a bad look and it's unfortunate for them that it played out on national television. I'm kind of with you. I, I think it, I don't want to overblow it because this stuff happens, you know, it does. And Tom Donahoe, anyone who's met Tom Donahoe knows that he's not one to bite his tongue when he has an opinion 
I mean, he's been doing this too long. He's, he's been a GM twice. If he has an yeah. opinion, he's going to let them know. And I, th- I think the Eagles appreciate that. They appreciate having that honesty. You know, he's not a yes man. They have plenty of yes men. You know, he, he's a guy who if they fired him tomorrow, he'd go back to Pittsburgh and live a happy life and he'd be fine with it. But he's not going to um, cater to anyone in that organization. And I think that they appreciate that. And I think that's what we saw there, that he liked one player more than they liked the other player. And, and he, he let them know it. Um, and it's funny, the Eagles put out that video of uh, Jonathan Gannon. That matters. Yeah. As funny as it was that they did it, um, the, the fact that the defensive coordinator was that excited about the pick, to me, matters more than the senior football advisor as, as much sway as he has in the building. I'd rather the defensive coordinator be on board with the pick than Tom Donahoe. I'll give you my opinion. I'm with Donahoe on this. I think, uh, as a matter of fact, McNeil's going to be the better player. But that's something we'll figure out over the next five years. Shame on him. He's got to know that the camera's there. He can't claim after the fact that, oh, Mort, I didn't even know the camera was there. That's your job. You're supposed to know that the camera's there and you can't have the reaction that you have. Uh, But I will give him credit. He did good damage control afterwards. Best draft that they've had in the last 10 years. So uh, he... Dono got my attention plenty over the weekend, um, which I'm not sure that the Eagles needed or anybody needed at this point. You mentioned Gannon, the new coordinator, and yes, the very directed video that the Eagles released to show how psyched he was with the pick. What did we learn about him without ever having seen him and or his defense on the field? Can we pick up any pointers on maybe what kind of schemes they're going to run, what kind of usage they're going to have for players? how they're going to do it differently than the Schwartz defense did off just the players that they've acquired since the draft came down, Dave? Yeah, a little bit. Now, it was funny. The, the one guy who I really looked at it with a raised eyebrow was Patrick Johnson because uh, they listed him as a linebacker. He was an edge player in <clears> college. <throat> and so you're like, all right, they call him a linebacker. Is he a, he's probably a stand-up rusher. Are we going to see some odd fronts? That was the first thing I thought, and I don't know, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself for a seventh-round pick, uh, but that was <laughs> kind of one of the, you know, that might not mean anything. They just probably like yeah. the player. But, but Jannard Avery as well, Dave. They moved yeah, that, the and linebacker. That, exactly. So, and, and you heard Jannard Avery's at linebacker, and you're like, well, yeah. he's, not, he's not playing the mic. I mean, he's not, yeah. he's not that uh, agile. So you're like, all right, Patrick Johnson's a linebacker. He's probably a stand-up rusher. Jannard Avery, is this a position – and Gannon's defense. Are we going to see some um, some different fronts this year? I think there's a possibility of that. And it's funny because we've looked so much at um, at Minnesota, and I think we should. I I, I generally think that um, the fact that he, he kind of started there and he has that Zimmer background, and then they bring in Nick Rollis, the linebackers coach from from Minnesota. It points to a lot of the Zimmer defense. And then people, you look at Zimmer, you look at Eberflus, and you try to figure out what Gannon is going to do, but. Gannon's a pretty smart guy. He's pretty highly regarded around the league. I'm sure he has wrinkles that we were not anticipating. You know what I mean? This He's waited a yeah. long time for this. So to think that he's just going to bring Zimmer's defense and and here, here here's Zimmer's defense, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I'm really curious to see what he's going to do, and I'm hoping at some point we get to ask him about it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of strange that we haven't talked to the defensive coordinator yet. He yeah. got hired a few months ago. Or the offensive coordinator, but that's not as important. But, okay, you're right about that. Now, when you were running down sort of your day three, you mentioned a lot of names. One of the names you didn't mention was Zach McPherson, the cornerback, and the Eagles didn't get help at 
pretty obvious if you look at the, the depth chart right now. The one glaring weakness is outside corner. Um, I wouldn't say there's plenty of other weaknesses as well, but that's one if you had to go play today, you're like, oh, what the heck are we going to do at this particular position? Now, Howie made a big deal about going back to Ronald Darby. There's still other options, but what the heck are they going to do with that position, Dave? Yeah, I I think that was a hint. I really don't think they're done there, and I don't know if it, it comes through free agency or trade. I don't think they can go into a season with what they have, and I know that this season isn't you – know, they're not going to win anything in 21, but they have to try to be competitive. I don't know if they can do that right now. I don't know enough about Zach McPherson to think that he can step in and be a starter, and that leaves Slay and Avante Maddox and Craig James as your your top corners right now. I That's not good enough to me. And that's nothing against Avante, who I think was obviously playing out of position last year. I, You know, he's played three positions in the NFL. Outside corner, I put firmly at the third best spot for him. Uh, I'd put safety and nickel ahead of that. So ideally, you'd like to get – if Avante is going to be here, you'd like to put him at the nickel spot and find someone to play outside. Can Zach McPherson be that as a fourth-round pick? I'm skeptical of that, you know, and, and that's not that's not a knock against the player, but a fourth round corner is far from a sure thing. So I don't think they're done there and I, I don't think they should be done there. You mentioned uh, trade as a possibility, Dave, which is interesting. Um, I would think that it'd be that much more difficult to make a trade because trade player for player trades in the NFL are so infrequent. Uh, it's oftentimes a waste of time to try and find a team that you match up with. Uh, it's usually for draft picks. And now you got to wait 360 some odd days to be able to cash in that draft pick. Are there actually cornerbacks out there that you would say would be an upgrade for the Eagles that could be available be, uh, for in exchange for a draft pick, you're not going to be able to cash for another 12 months now. I got to believe that's – if Howie's got something like that working, he's doing a good job of keeping it under wraps because I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not going to try to fake some names here because I don't know who it would be, but anyone they trade for is an upgrade. I, look <laughs> at their depth chart. I mean, it's yeah. not like – it's a pretty low bar to clear, and that's not a knock on these players. But, I mean, right now – you're going into a season. It will take Zach McPherson out because I don't exactly know how he fits, how far along he'll be. You're talking about Darius Slay outside. I'd probably put Craig James at the other corner position, Avante as the nickel. He'd probably start outside moving the nickel on uh, on sub packages. So um, after that, you have Michael Jaquette, Kevon Seymour, um, Jamison Houston. I, it's it's a pretty it's quick impressive, drop off. Dave. It's impressive I mean, that he came they, up with those names. Lavert Hill. I mean, yeah. they, 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 they've got to do something. Um, yeah. I, I, I just can't imagine. It, it's, it's almost impossible to go into a season with that. And, and maybe Zach McPherson. And the problem is we don't have OTAs either. It's not even like yeah. this guy can show up to OTAs and, yeah. and wow everyone in shorts. He can't do that. So the first time we're really going to see him in competitive action is in August. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good enough. It, it, it certainly isn't, and it brings me to how he was on with Angelo yesterday. Jody made a big deal about him saying, hey, we're going to compete. We're going to try to win games, essentially. I think everybody looks at this team and says, eh, Jeffrey Lurie used the term transitional phase. Can they be better than expected? Can this team in a bad division compete? 
for the NFC East title. I, they're not going to be in the mix for a, a significant Super Bowl contender. I think we all realize that. But in a bad division, can they compete? I mean, if the division is as bad as it was last year, sure. <laughs> if it's if it's the historically worst division in NFL history again, yeah. I mean, they better they better be around the conversation. Well, they didn't last year. And the, well, and no, they were, they were in the no, they well, were, yeah. they were in the race till week fifteen. Four wins, I mean, yeah, long term. Yeah, I mean, they, they were in the race. Yeah, look, I, I think there's some talent on offense. It's unproven talent, and a lot of it hinges on Jalen Hurts. Um, if that line should be better, and that's a big deal. I don't want to overlook that. That, that yeah. line was a train wreck last year because of the injuries, and there's no guarantee it is better because the, the injuries are scary. You have a 33 year old Jason Kelsey, <clears throat> a, a right guard coming off an Achilles a right tackle who's dealing with the same ankle injury he's dealt with for three years, um, left tackle who's a year into football or a left tackle who's been a major disappointment in the NFL, and a left guard who's solid. So, um, And then your best backup is a guy who's also coming off an ACL, by the way, he just drafted. So if that line can be better, I think Jalen Hurts has a shot to be a decent player. He, he's kind of a wild card, though. I don't know what he's going to be. The Eagles don't know what he's going to be. No. Um, so, so much of the success, at least offensively, hinges on Jalen Hurts. So, have some more weapons now. We'll have Devontae Smith. I think Jalen Rager um, has a better shot this year, obviously. Removed from his rookie year, all the pressure, the injuries. We'll have a new coach and coordinator uh, to scheme him up a little better. So, I think they have some talent offensively. Defensively, the well's running a little dry, guys. Um, you know, they, it's getting, they're getting older. They have Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. They're two best players both over 30. Um, they have some talent. They have Javon Hargrave, who I think is a really good player, and but now he has to learn a new scheme. Yeah. Uh, it, linebackers, Eric Wilson, I think, was a, a decent signing. And then in the secondary, Rodney McLeod's coming off that injury, and we know the situation at corner. So I don't think they're going to be a good team. I don't think they're going to be some kind of real contender. Can they stick around in the NFC East? Yeah, probably. Dave, let me uh, go here. You just ran down, gave a nice little capsule of the sides of the ball and where the Eagles are sitting these days. Uh, since the season ended, they've decided that they weren't going to draft the quarterback. They had a chance to draft the quarterback seven rounds. They didn't draft one. Um, their first pick, they brought in Jalen Hurts' former teammate, Heisman Trophy winner, but brought in his former teammate. Second round, they took an offensive lineman. Third round, they finally got to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, off-season acquisitions, um, they haven't blown anybody away with adding specific pieces on either side of the ball. Um, they've kind of gone out of their way to say, oh, and let me not forget, they could have drafted Justin Fields, they chose not to uh, with the pick that they had. They really have gone down the Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lurie proclaimed through Chris Mortensen Road, our job is to get better around Jalen Hurts. Is this an overcompensation for what happened with Carson Wentz? Because Carson supposedly couldn't mentally handle the fact that they took Jalen Hurts in the second round that this year. They're overdoing it to make sure Jalen Hurts, despite the fact that he's a completely different personality than Carson Wentz, doesn't feel threatened at all that we're bending over backwards to make it easier for Jalen Hurts. I don't think so. I, I, I think that he the makeup is is much different when you're talking about Jalen Hurts versus Carson. I think if they drafted Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts would try to beat him out. Um, and he he might have a shot. Who knows? I, I don't think he'd have a shot. But um, 
it's I think they realized that we have to figure out if Jalen Hurts is the guy or not. And there's some real skepticism everywhere about that. Even inside the building, there's some real skepticism about whether or not he can be that guy. So I think they look at it and say, well, we got to find out. And the only fair way to find out is to get pieces, put them around him. And even if he's not the guy, we, we have the pieces still. We still have the pieces that we surrounded him with to try to find out. So um, they – we, we all know how much flexibility they have next year, how much ammo they're going to have to get a quarterback next year if if they find out that Jalen Hurts isn't the guy. And I I like the idea of giving him a year to to see if he can improve, to see if um to see if he's he could be the the long term starter. Mario is he's okay this season. He's just okay, and yeah. um. And okay is probably not going to be good enough, honestly. I if they're not sold on him now as an organization completely, I think he's going to need to be pretty good this year for them to to not find a quarterback next year. That we know how much this organization values quarterback. This is a league that values quarterback, and this is an organization that you know really values it. And we can make fun of the quarterback factory thing because it was a silly line to say, but it's it's it exhibits how much they care about it. Um, so I think they're going to give them this year. I think that's why they're doing this to find out, say, Hey, Jalen hurts. This is your team for this year. And, and you try to do everything you can to prove to us that, that you're the guy, but, but if he's not, they have options and, and they won't hesitate to use them. I don't think. All right, Dave, last one from me. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Uh, read Dave at NBC sports Philadelphia, but you piqued my interest there for one reason. I, I think that it, you're right, and it's contradictory because this team, obviously, quarterback factor, however he regrets that, but that's what they believe. They believe in that position. They believe how, they understand how important it is. So why? Why in a what everyone calls, basically everyone called a historic quarterback draft, are you kicking the can down the road and you had the opportunity, it was sitting there for you at number 10 overall. And you, you got a plan. I understand it. You want Devontae Smith. But Justin Fields is there. And you, you know, probably a month and a half, six weeks ago, you said, there's no way he's going to be there. <laughs> he's there. And you're kicking the can back to next season when you said, they're probably not going to believe in him in 12 months. I mean, I don't know how much you can learn. There's going to be excuses. It's not a great football team. They're not in a position. And then, in theory, everybody we all know builds up the board. There's going to be players that that rise in NFL talent evaluators' minds at the quarterback position. But, man, this group was good. And you were in a position to seize the moment. Why didn't they? Yeah, it's it's a fair question, and I do want to point out that they like Jalen Hurts. They wouldn't have drafted Jalen Hurts; they didn't like him. Um, they do like, him. and I, I think there's a reason that Howie brought up Russell Wilson last year. And it's not to say that he's Russell Wilson. I'm not making it clear. I'm not saying that, but they liked him, and they didn't want to lose him. That's why they took him at 53, as misguided as, as that might have been. Um, so I don't think it's like they're completely down on Jalen Hurts. They don't think he can be the guy. I think there's a chance of it. But I also think that, you know, we're looking at this. Is a, yeah, it's a deep quarterback draft, right? But it doesn't mean they like every quarterback yeah. in this draft equally. And I, I think that once they traded down from 6 to 12, 
you understood that they weren't going to be if, – if, if they were interested in a quarterback, they knew that quarterback was not going to be there. So um, that part of it lines up, right? We, we heard some whispers that um, Wilson was a guy they had their eye on, and it, pretty clearly they weren't going to have a shot to get him. So mm-hmm. whether or not that evaluation is right or wrong and whether or not they were wrong about Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I don't know. But I think it was pretty clear that they were maybe not in love with those other quarterbacks the same way. And they, I think they also had to ask themselves, what's the separation between Hurts and these guys? I think it's pretty significant. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't think it's as significant um, to, to kind of blow up that second-round pick. And I think some of it is, that, hey, we just used a second-round pick on this guy. We were willing to torpedo our organization to do so. Um, are we really going to just abandon it a year in? I think that probably plays a role, too. All right, Dave, last one for me, and it's one of my favorite things in the world. might be one of your least favorite things in the world. Most people it is. The sports hypothetical question. And I acknowledge ahead of time that this is highly unlikely, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Howie Roseman gets a call. It's the general manager of the Packers who says, listen, uh, we've been meeting with Rodgers. He just doesn't want to be here. I said, all right, we'll try and accommodate. Tell me the teams that you'll accept a trade to, and you'll show up for the first day of camp to get that half a million dollar workout bonus. Then you'll be good to go if you go there. And knowing full well what I want in return, the only fit is the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, he signed off on Philadelphia, and I need three first-round draft picks, and they got to be right away, not down the road, and you guaranteed to have two. Oh, did we lose, Dave? There he is. He's still like We're guaranteed to have two, and we'll take that Carson Wentz deal, too. Uh, When any day it it comes back a two or one, you give us your pick, Miami's pick, and Carson's pick. You got yourself Aaron Rodgers, and here's his agent's number in case you need to confirm and don't buy the fact that it'll go to Philadelphia. That's why we call this a hypothetical. Uh, If it happens, what does Howie Roseman do? I'll be honest, Jody. Missed that whole question. <laughs> my internet was. Uh, my internet that was, was a big one. Uh, it was a long was, one. My, it was I, great. I will. I, I will, lost. Uh, I lost I internet. The got it back. You were still going. <laughs> I'll give you the edit version. Uh, Packers yeah. GM calls Howie Roseman. Uh, Aaron Rodgers signs off on coming to Philadelphia. Eagles have what it takes to get him there. Two ones plus the Carson Wentz one. Gutenkun said that's enough for me. I'll pull the trigger on a deal. Call Aaron. He's good with coming to Philadelphia. Those things in place, highly unlikely as they may be, but if they're all in place, what does Howie Roseman do? It's a good question. Um, The problem is they need so much. They really do. And all those picks that you're trading to get Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have a team with Aaron Rodgers. Here he is. Uh, I still think they'd entertain it. We're talking about one of the best, maybe the best quarterback in the league, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He still has – Plenty of good years left. I, I think Howie would entertain it. I don't know if if they uh, you'd have a team with Aaron Rodgers and then Aaron Rodgers. That'd be the scary <laughs> and part. Because, Smith, who's not going to get and, hurt at 166 yeah. pounds. By the way, yeah. Dave, that'll get you 10 wins. Aaron Rodgers. And yeah, that's Rodgers the thing, Smith. and that's why it's tempting. It's like yeah. he's that good. I, I think Howie would at least entertain it. He'd probably do it. 
And it would give us great fodder for months and months, probably years to come. And days not going to happen. <laughs> days ago, I said hypothetical. I, yeah. uh, playing to that 2%. I love doing it. Dave, we appreciate you coming on board. Great stuff. Uh, we will certainly be tapping into you again down the road. Thanks for coming on with us today. Happy Cinco de Mayo. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks Dave sir. Zangaro from NBC Sports Philly. Read him at NBCSportsPhilly.com. All right, the Mac and Mac guys coming back. We've still got an hour left to play here on a Cinco de Mayo edition of Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave. Take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 98 Union Contractor. Learn more at ibew98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Mac guys here with you on Birds 365. Thanks, David and Carl, popping on board. Uh, I had to repeat that last question, but that's not a problem. Every once in a while, you get technical difficulties, 
Uh, they did a great job. We thank him for hopping on board. Our buddy Dan Cilio coming up later, uh, host of a new show here on the Jacob Media uh, channel, uh, NFL show, former NFL player, going to hop on board with us for a spot today here on Birds 365. Um I, I don't think I specifically put that question to you since we've been talking about Aaron Rodgers. I think we kind of dismissed it out of hand because we both agree that the chances of him choosing Philadelphia as a potential destination are very, very, very slimmer than assigned, uh, than uh, our uh, boy Devontae Smith. Smith. Yeah, yes. good, um, good comparison there, Jerry. <laughs> but, Maybe even slimmer, by the way. But if, yeah, probably even slimmer. Um if it did happen, that would actually back up what Howie Roseman said on WIP yesterday for me. We're going to try and win games. You well, just said, course, you yeah. get Aaron Rodgers, you're a 10-win team. That's going to get you in the playoffs in the NFC East. How tempting is it? Look, I think any team in the NFL, to be honest, would be tempted to have Aaron Rodgers, maybe with the exception of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and only because – they have the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and are coming off the Super Bowl championship. Uh, but even that's out of deference more than anything else because Aaron's better than Tom at this stage. Yeah. Um, I, I'd add the Kansas City Chiefs to that list too. Yeah, the can't. You're right. Uh, Chiefs obviously are, are, are very well set up and much younger at the quarterback position, so that's fair as well. But most teams, let's uh, put it that way. And uh, – he is aging. We know everything. We know the personality. We know how difficult it would be to deal with him from a front office perspective. You see what's going on in Green Bay. Guy's great, man. I, I mean, compared to other sports, if you have a superstar, um, you cater to the superstar. Um, and that's what you do if you want to be successful, whether it's LeBron James in the NBA uh, or you don't. And you go down a different road. And, hey, I'd, I'd like to have Aaron Rodgers. It, it is not a possibility in Philadelphia. I'll go that far. I'm not even putting 0.5% on it. It's to zero, a it's a goose egg. Is that what you're telling me? Goose egg chance? Goose egg. No okay. chance. No, not whatsoever. <laughs> um, and I, I think the better conversation would be Deshaun Watson if everything gets – I think that's realistic. If everything gets cleared up from his end, which may not be realistic, that part may not be realistic. But I think the Eagles would be have an opportunity in that sweepstakes, so to speak, where Aaron, no, he's not coming here. Simple as that. No, I, it's it's good food for fodder and good conversation. But yeah, I think it's pretty damn close to zero that Aaron Rodgers will be coming here. Um, and Jalen Hurts, as you've said, I've said, Dave Gonzaro just specifically said here with us, this is a prove-it year for uh, Jalen Hurts, and the Eagles have hmm. limited the competition for him. If you think Jamie Newman's going to come in and compete, not happening. If you believe Joe Flacco, when he says, I'm coming in here to compete from the job, not happening. Um, they've cleared the path for Jalen Hurts to be the man for this upcoming season. What do you think Jalen Hurts needs to do? What he's need to know. accomplish? They they have to have a bar that at least in their own mind that they're setting for him before the season starts. Do they not? 
I don't know, Jody. I don't know what he can do to earn this job in a year when we're sitting here next year at this time. And even, you know, rewind a couple of weeks in the lead up to the draft. Right. Um, I think we're going to be talking about the Eagles in the quarterback position, which is why I think the theme of this show today has been consistency or more better described inconsistency. And we just talked about it with Dave. This team values the quarterback position above all else. And it makes no sense to me what they're doing. And that is not, people kill me all the time. McMullen hates Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts. I like the kid. I think he's a natural leader. I think he's an extremely hard worker. I think that is ultimately what will lead him to success if he does have success because he's going to uncover every single rock to become a better player. But I look at this team and I say to myself, what are you doing not considering the quarterbacks? Look, everybody has stars. The Eagles have Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, you know, Jason Kelsey. Most of their stars are aging, unfortunately. But those guys are entrenched. Every team has them. By definition, Jalen Hurts isn't entrenched. So as a GM, if you're Howie Roseman, what do you always talk about? What's the cliche? We got, we're always trying to get better. We're always trying to get better. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's not possible, Jody. You got to put what you got to do the best you can at a certain position. You know, Justin Fields falls in your lap, in your lap, and there's not a contingency plan to say, hey, let me look around the room. What the hell's going on here? Should we take this kid? Now, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe, as Dave said, maybe they did the evaluation. Maybe they did the due diligence. Maybe they red flagged him. There's a ton of reasons. But again, the lack of consistency. We're going to red flag this kid. We're going to take Landon Dickerson. Where's the consistency with this organization? I have no idea. But mm-hmm. I can tell you what I this to back to your original point. We're going to be here, hopefully, pre-draft next year. We're going to be talking about the Eagles going to get a quarterback, whether it's a veteran or whether it's in the draft. So I don't understand why we're doing this tap dance for 12 months. I don't understand it. Well, I, I can certainly tell by the way you describe uh, Jalen Hurts and his abilities and predicting and projecting 12 months down the road. I'm a bigger believer and a fan than you are, which you had fun poking me last week by calling it my Sophie's choice <laughs> as to either Avante, uh, Devante and or uh, uh, Fields. Fields. I like them both. I, I think both have the chance to be star players, if not superstar players. And worst case scenario for me is they're both on the board when the Eagles pick. Oh, that's exactly what happened. Thank you very much. But it's even one step further than that. Because I do like Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts can be a starting quarterback in this league. I think you can win with Jalen Hurts. I thought that from the time the Eagles called out his name in the second round last year, when 90% of Eagle Nation slash Eagle Media were saying, what the hell are they doing? Why would you take a quarterback in the second round when you have Carson Wentz? What are the Eagles possibly think? Again, another example of Howie Roseman trying to prove 
He's the smartest guy in the room and he's going to outsmart everybody. I took it as simply they need a backup quarterback. They saw this kid as a bottom of the first round talent. He's sitting there past the midway point of the second round. And they said, damn, we can get value and our backup quarterback cheap right now. Let's call out this name. And at least reports are that the owner happened to be a pretty big fan of Jalen Hurts. I don't know if it was because of the draft process. I don't know if it was because he sits home every Saturday to watch Alabama because Alabama's on TV every single week on a national basis and or Oklahoma, that that's the reason why they, I don't know what the reason was. Here's what I do know. I liked the kid. I thought he was valued late in the second round. I thought the Eagles needed an upgraded backup quarterback. He came in and flashed enough for me. And this is a story that's been undersold here over the last couple of weeks. He was a rookie in the National Football <laughs> League behind a quarterback that no one believed was ever going to be replaced in a year where there was no training camp. There were no preseason games. To expect a rookie to be able to step in and play like he did, I think just the fact that he was passable says a lot about him. Now that he is the quarterback, now that he's going to get all the preseason snaps, now that they're actually going to play preseason games, yeah, I think he's got a chance to uh, play pretty damn good football. I'll go on record right now, this very second. Jalen Hurts will be better than Carson Wentz was last year. Uh, I agree with that. I'm, I'm leaving that, that bar pretty damn low because we all know how bad yeah. Carson Wentz was. The Eagles will have improved quarterback play this upcoming year. I agree with that. Well, Jody, I'm already getting roasted, as I figured I would. So I'll explain it to this. It's not about me. I I went back through my notes, and I said this on, on, on my show with Ryan Rothstein on the radio last night. Give a plug to that. So I went back. Some of them were on this show. We had Chris Landry on the show. We had Blake Bedenfield on the show. Between all the stuff we do here, on air, off air, 14 different personnel evaluators. 14 from Daniel Jeremiah, really high profile. This isn't Dan's draft site. Really high profile guys in the league. Gil Brandt being one of them, a legend. I asked every single one of them the same question. I put Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson aside and Mac Jones because they weren't going to be able to get Trevor Lawrence. They weren't going to be able to get Zach Wilson. I don't think they were interested in Mac Jones. So I focused on Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I asked every single one of them the same question. Is it close? When you do the evaluation, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Every single one of them, a hundred percent, not 10 to four, not 11, it was 15, not 11 to four, not 12 to three, not even 13 to two. These guys can't agree on lunch when it comes to prospects and not one of them, not one of them said there wasn't a significant difference between Justin Fields and Trey Lance than Jalen Hurts. Not one. That scares the living you-know-what out of me. It doesn't make sense from what are the Eagles looking at that these guys are not looking at? Or are they? I think you brought up a really good point. 
And, and Dave Zangaro kind of dismissed it. I think it's real. I think they were fractured a little bit by what went on last year. I think that plays into this because there's no way. I know Andy Weidel. I know Ian Cunningham. I know these guys. There's no way Daniel Jeremiah sees this and they don't see it. No stinking way. So roast me all you want. That's the reality of this situation. 15 different personnel evaluations. 15 to nothing. I, I'm not surprised uh, if you kept track as you went, and well, you should, uh, that it came out as lopsided as it did. You need to really lay it out the way it is, though. If you use the pick on a quarterback in this draft, then you're not taking Devonta Smith. So it's not just Trey Lance. Well, yeah, against... that's a that's a different conversation. That's well, all that. Yeah, but, I mean that's it's, all it's, involved. It's Nothing the real happened. world conversation. It's what happened. The Eagles got to draft someone else at that spot at number ten to well, play it was a your, different position by the way, because was... they're going to Jalen Hurts. Had they drafted a quarterback, they'd have Jalen Hurts as the backup, and they wouldn't have that talented player that they had at number ten. Well, yeah, by the way, it was your Soapy's choice, not mine. I would have taken Rashawn Slater um, and the offensive lineman who was there. If I, I would have just stayed at 12. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I mean, everything, nothing happens in a vacuum. But this team, this is the team that, that values that position, how he constantly says it. They call themselves the quarterback factory. You have an historic quarterback draft, according to everybody. And they go, oh, let's forget about the quarterbacks. We'll wait till next year if we need a quarterback. Now, maybe it works out because maybe their plan is to go the veteran route. Maybe their plan is to go Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Not going to be Aaron Rodgers, as we discussed. But nonetheless, somebody else might become available. It's like a, a, a virus in the NFL. No quarterback is happy in their current situation. Uh, so who knows what happens? But – it scares the living you-know-what out of me when everybody – again, these guys don't agree on anything. You know, the, you you give them – you, you, you get 15 of them together and say, do you like Justin Fields or Trey Lance? It's going to be 8-7. Do you like Mac Jones or Justin Fields? It's going to be like 12-3. Other than Trevor Lawrence, everybody's going to say Trevor Lawrence would get 15. Scares me, Jody. That's all I'm saying. Let me just add this to the mix, and we're going to have uh, Dan Cilio join us coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Um, if you haven't read Peter King's Football Morning in America column that he comes out with every Monday morning, it's a must-read as far as I'm concerned for you football fans. A lot of interesting stuff about how the 49ers decided to go with Trey Lance, that that whole Mac Jones thing was media-created. Not that uh, the coach didn't like Mac Jones, but it became a pretty easy decision for him when they got. We all didn't the create it. We were being told that. I would take issue with that. We didn't create that because they they were they were making it pretty clear behind the scenes that Mac Jones was the guy they traded up to. You think so they? You think they fueled the media that story? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, you might be right. Uh, you'd know better than me on that one. But uh, Trey Lance and. He better turn out to be, after you read this article by Peter King, he better turn out to be Joe Montana uh, part due uh, because of the way they talked him up. And they did give up all of that for a kid who is, 
not played against highest level college football so far, and it is a bit of a roll of the dice. Uh, they better come up uh, seven, uh, as far as I'm concerned. The Eagles, to me, are on a planet unto themselves when it comes to Trey Lance. There's the 31 teams in the National Football League, and then there's the Philadelphia Eagles. Because for them to have taken Trey Lance, a North Dakota State kid, after what happened with Carson Wentz, one that you haven't had a chance to see against, forget about NFL-level talent, even top college talent, I don't think they could have gone there. I don't think they could have picked them. We talked earlier in the show. You've done it uh, five or six times here on the show right on point. You can just take a guy off your board because of medicals. That yeah. uh, We may have an opinion on him, but if they've got medical markings against him, it's going to drop them way down their board or off their board altogether. It's the Carson Wentz uh, test with Trey Lance. I think that takes him off the Eagles board. I, I may throw a fourth round uh, pick at him. Other than that, I'm not taking a chance on Trey Lance because the Eagles can't do that because of what happened with Carson Wentz here. I know they're different kids. I know it's years later, yeah. but to me, I hope that's not the case. I'll say that. I, I'm just tell, I'm telling. I'm telling you what uh, how I would feel if I were the general manager of the Eagles. I couldn't do it. I couldn't draft uh, Trey Lance after you had Carson Wentz implode to the size level and uh, physical responsibilities that it did here in Philadelphia. I couldn't do that. I couldn't go back to another North Dakota State quarterback. I wouldn't do that if I were Howie Roseman. So even though. 15 other general manager talent evaluators may have said Trey Lance over uh, uh, Jalen Hurts. Not me. I, 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 the Eagles are different than the other 31 teams in that vein as far as I'm concerned. All right. He's John McClone. I'm Jody McDonald. Dan Cilio, uh, host of a new show right here on the Jacob Sports Media YouTube channel, is going to join us talking NFL next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star... 
you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. You're aboard Birds 365 here on the Jacob Sports Media Channel. We are Maga Mac, John McMullen, and Jody McDonald, a teammate of ours now. Happy to say, glad to have him on with his own show, the National Football Show. Dan Cilio joins us here on uh, Birds 365. Dan the Man, how are you this morning? Dude, thank you, guys, man. Thank you very much for welcoming me in. It's been really a pretty cool couple days here just being able just to do something that I really have a passion for, and that's football. And, you know, going all the way back, Jody, guys, I got to tell you, man, you know, just I, I got my uncle's uh, jersey that he was inducted into the Giants Hall of Fame and then into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Andy Robustelli. So when I say, yeah. you know, that I was born a Giant guy, I hope <laughs> I'm all right here, man, a little bit, being brought into an Eagle den. Yeah. And, and Joe, now Jody's a Jets guy, so you're fine. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, dude, then you are a glutton for punishment, Jody. Yes, I am. <laughs> You're a glutton plus for years of it. Thank you very no. much for reminding me. <laughs> you know, one thing, by the way, you know, you Miami guys, big sales, you run deep. One thing I I, I want to know, you get Dwayne Johnson to, to, to promo your show, the National Football Show. First of all, I got to get you to get The Rock to give us a little shout yeah, out number one nice. yeah that'd be nice but number two uh, talk about that miami culture you guys you had jimmy johnson on one of your first shows uh that that's got to be awesome to be a part of that history you know what and guys i think you probably know and you probably bumped elbows with them jerome brown and i started this thing back in 1985 and you know, the one thing that we wanted to really do was after we won the championship in 83, we wanted to be able to have something where every generation um, gets an opportunity to be connected in some way. You know, the Canes the last 20 years haven't really been all that connected when it comes to winning because back when we were there, I mean, I lost one game in three years at Miami, and that was just a common thing for over 14 years was that, that program. But the guys like – I could talk to Reggie Wayne today like I talked to Michael Irvin back in the day, and that was just a culture that was set up. Nobody cared where you came from. Nobody cared your politics. Nobody cared about anything except when we were in that locker room, and it's really carrying on. And like I tell you guys, I, I didn't know The Rock knew about me like that, and all of a sudden we just started reaching out, and – it's like he played on my my Canes teams with Jerome and Cortez and Russell and all them guys, and he's just been absolutely sensational. We've become really good friends, and you're right, Jody. It, it, here, 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 here's here's how this thing has really kind of blossomed. In that, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Howard Schnellenberger, who just passed away, John. I got to tell you, man, he, those guys really set the 
they set the table for all of this at the University of Miami. It's been awesome. And uh, I, you, you wouldn't know this, Dan, but uh, one of the toughest things I've ever been, I've ever done, I've been doing a sports talk thing for 30 plus years. I happened to be on the air on the day in Philadelphia when we found out that Jerome had passed in the tragic car accident. And I was an hour into a five hour show by myself. And the outpouring that we got from fans on the phones, I didn't want to be there. I just wanted to get up and leave, but I had a job to do. And I wanted to be there to give Eagle fans a chance to get it off their uh, chest and, and talk about it. Remember what Jerome meant to the Eagles. It was one of the toughest shows I've ever done. And that was a long time ago. And it's still to this day, one of the toughest shows I've ever done. I want to show you something here. Every year that I go to a golf tournament, you know, I go to the Jerome Brown Classic that's in Brooksville. And back in the day, you know, when we were first doing it, Reggie would show up. And I got I was I was with the Lions. And guys, I'll never forget this because Eric Andelsack, who was an offensive guard, was killed like a couple weeks earlier. And the Associated Press called me and they they're like, Hey, did you hear what happened? I go, Yeah, Andelsack died a couple of years ago. He was down in Thibodeau, Louisiana. No. Jerome died. I went, Jerome, Jerome, Jerome who? He goes, Jerome Brown. I went, no, no, no. Jerome Superman. Jerome doesn't, that's not, not going to, no. And he was my running mate. And man, I just love that guy so much. And there is not a month that goes by that, you know, we, I don't think about him. And every year on his birthday, D Brown, his son, I check in with him because we made a pack years ago. I have a daughter now. If anything ever happened to one of us, we would always check on each other's kid. And so I check on D. He's doing really well. He went to UCF, played some baseball there. And, yeah, you know, it was one of the worst days of my life because – and then, guys, we went to the funeral. And I'll never forget, there's Reggie. There's Chris Carter. There's every single Philadelphia Eagle, Miami Hurricane. And I could not believe – we're. I've got Cortez Kennedy in between my wife – and, and Russell, Maryland, and there's not a guy that's not in tears. And we're just sitting there in tears. I'll never forget when we took him to rest, we all took our ties off and we threw it in his, um, his resting place. And we just threw all of our ties in and Reggie was just in tears. I, you know, now we lost him two years after that, but yeah, man, guys, that was really just, he was his impact. If I would, if I could tell anybody, and, got, and Jody, you know this as well as anybody. He's the Charles Barkley version of football. That was his personality. Yeah. If I can make yeah. a comparison, he was like Barkley of the football version. Yeah, and he was such a great player, just like Charles. Oh. So it works out. But what is it about defensive tackles Miami back then? You mentioned Cortez, Russell. I mean, just such dominant at that particular – Jerome at that particular position. It was It was an amazing run. It really was. And then, you know, Vince Wolfirk and Jim Burt and all the people that we had there that, I mean, I was the 56 player taken and I thought I was one of the bums of the group. I mean, you know, you're like, these guys are like first round draft choices. You see, back then we converted guys. When Jerome got to Miami from Brooksville, he was a tight end. When I got to Miami, I was a linebacker. And so what Coach Johnson would do or Coach Schellenberger would do was if we had great speed, all of us had to run under five flat. 
You see, you can't have five foot two or, or you can't have five two forty guys playing defensive line. That's not going to work at UM. Our ends all played four or five. Everybody wanted speed. We were not going to be the biggest guys on the planet, but we were going to be the fastest guys on the planet. And that's why every time we took on teams like Nebraska or Notre Dame, we beat the piss out of them. I mean, <laughs> Notre Dame, one year we beat them 58 to 7. We just ran around those guys. We gave them the worst loss still to this day. In school history, Coach Johnson's running reverses with a minute left in the game. And it was really just a great magical time. And you're right, man. I mean, Russell Maryland, six foot one. Uh, uh, Warren Sapp, six foot one and a half. Oh, uh, Jerome, probably the tallest at six, two and a half. But, you know, we never looked at height. We just looked at speed. Now they, now, now they go off these rivals things. And look, if you don't look a guy in the eyeball and you don't look at his game tape, you know that draft stuff that's, It's about as dumb as it gets with pro days and all this other stuff. If you don't look a dude in the eye and you don't look at his game tape, and you call him a 20-footer, I only need to see 20 feet of tape to know a guy's good or bad. All right, let me uh, put it to you then, this year's draft class. You've done a great job of describing Miami players and Miami attitude. Was there a player or two that went in this past draft that you said, damn, he could have played with us. He could have been a Hurricane player back in the day when Hurricane players were Hurricane players. Was there one that you saw either uh, via tape, watching games, or the chance to interview, or getting it from one of your fellow Hurricane guys who you said, this guy's going to be a stud in the pro because he, even though he may not have been a Miami guy, he plays like a Miami guy. Yeah, this is going to kill me, man. I mean, uh, this is like taboo. This is like Eagle fan, like talking about giant guy. But that kid, Kyle Pitts from Florida, is a Bitch, I, I'll tell you what, he is going to be an absolute mismatch on any NFL field. The only issue I would have with him is in the blocking game. I heard Dan Mullen, the head coach of the Gators, saying if you put him in a right situation, which meant this, don't line him up on J.J. Watt, the best defensive end, because he's going to get killed. Put him on the weak side a little bit, maybe out in the, out in the – uh, flank a little bit, maybe in the slot. You can put him out wide. The, you know, the tight end position has become the most instrumental position, I think even more so than wideouts. I think wideouts are the most overrated position in the NFL. I think tight end because the tight end beats the linebacker and the tight end has become essential when it comes to moving the sticks. You don't have a great tight end. I mean, look at Kansas City, Gronk for many years. What you're seeing up in San Francisco – Zach Ertz for a bit. I mean, if you don't have that tight end, that guy's the dude that moves the sticks. I mean, I've told people this before. The, the reason that the Steelers were able to hang with the Patriots for so many years, they had the kid Ryan Shazier. He's kind of a cover two linebacker, and he's that old Tampa two guy. He could play the run. He could play the slot. He could play the seam. When that guy got hurt, he was the only guy. Of all them dudes they lost with A.B. and Le'Veon Bell, he was the biggest loss to the Steelers um, was not having him on that field because they haven't had a guy to cover a tight end. You got a great tight end today. You're going to move the sticks. You're going to win ball games. All right, Dan, you piqued my interest there because the Eagles took a wide receiver. I kind of agree with you in the fact that the position is a little bit overvalued. But we we just been talking about physicality. Devontae Smith, 
166-pound kid who plays like he's 200 pounds, can he hold up even in the modern NFL? Now, obviously, things have changed. The game's evolved. It's over-legislated. You can't do a lot of things you could do back in your day. Does that help him? It does, John. Here, here. Look, I think the pick sucks, but I'll tell you why I think it sucks, okay? Because he went to the wrong team, and he went to the wrong quarterback, and he went to the wrong system, okay? A guy like him goes to Green Bay, goes to Seattle, has Tom Brady. You're going to be able to get him the ball better. I mean, you don't rebuild the team from the outside in. Ask Matt Millen that. Okay, you build the football team from the inside out when you're struggling. The Eagles needed to address the O-line. They did in the second round, but they did with a guy who's been in, like, the MASH unit. He's been injured all this time. That's fine. They at least addressed it. Anthony Munoz got hurt his entire career at Southern Cal. Then he went on to a 14-year NFL career. So I'm not going to hold that against him. They addressed the need in the second round. But, I mean, okay, so you're right, John, on one point here. The receivers back in the day, Jerry Rice is getting mugged at the line of scrimmage and all the way down the field. That's going to help him. You know, you can't have contact like you can in open space today versus what you could back then. But do you have the quarterback to get him the ball? You can have the greatest talent at wideout. But if you don't have the guy that can throw the ball and you don't have the old line to protect the quarterback, that's why it's the most relied position in the NFL. Look at the teams that have won Super Bowls over the last couple of years. I, I I get the Bucks, that's like an All Star team, but those 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 Patriot teams. Julian Edelman was a quarterback in college. Wes Welker was a special teams dude in uh, a Miami with the Dolphins, right? Uh, Deion Branch and those dudes, they won all those Super Bowls with nobodies. I mean, you don't really look, look at Cam Newton's team a couple of years back. I mean. They didn't have anybody outside of the tight end. You really don't have to have these gigantic wideouts. Look at DeAndre Hopkins. What's he done in the postseason? Um, Julio Jones got to a Super Bowl. Fair enough. I mean, he's a really good player. But back in the day, A.J. Smith and all these other big money guys, they haven't brought the teams anything, man. You know, you got you to gotta win in the offensive line. And when the Eagles won a couple of years ago, they beat the living piss out of the Patriots up front. That year, they had the best combination of O-line, D-line in the NFL. Fletcher Cox was kicking ass. That O-line was knocking people off the ball. And in the Super Bowl, they beat the hell out of the Patriots. What did the Patriots do? The following year, they beat the hell out of the Rams the same way that the Eagles beat them. So I don't know, man. I, I think it's just not a fit because if you had a quarterback that was Aaron Rodgers, it's a great pick. But you have a guy in Jalen Hurts that, man, you, there's so many question marks on. And just to sit there and go, he's a great guy. That's got nothing. Aaron Rodgers looks like a toolbox as a teammate, <laughs> right? It looks like a toolbox. However, yeah. would you not want that guy on your team? Yeah. Of course yeah. you would. Here's the reason why I disagree with you, Dan. Uh, uh, he's going to be here for, I believe, a decade. I think he's that talented a player. I don't think we're going to have to worry about him getting hurt at 166 pounds. If Jalen Hurts isn't good enough, which you may be right about, John and I were just talking about it, it's a make it or break it year for Jalen Hurts, which is pretty damn quick. Well, he's going to be here for the next guy. And hopefully the next guy is the next Aaron Rodgers. And we don't know that just yet, but you'll have to think along those lines. You've got a guy who can be a year in, year out, 
Pro Bowl type player at that position and make it easier for that next quarterback when you get him. That's why I got no problems with. I rate the players so highly. I'm such a Devontae Smith fan that he's going to help Jalen Hurts and or the next quarterback. Even if Hurts isn't good enough, well, then the next guy's going to benefit from Devontae. They have a good enough offensive line, getting older, injured, yes. But like you said, a lot of the same guys who won a Super Bowl for them in 2017, they did use their second-round pick. They're okay in the trenches. They needed a superstar playmaker outside, and they got one in Devontae Smith. I'll say this to you, Jody. Fair enough, okay? This will all play out in seeing whether or not they can get him the ball. And to say that, you know, the Dolphins have been searching for a quarterback. Outside of Peyton Manning in Denver, they've been searching for a quarterback since John Elway. To sit there and say that the Eagles are going to find that guy, they haven't had a consistent quarterback in that place since Randall Cunningham. And so the Eagles have been searching for a quarterback to be able to play consistently. You know, uh, Carson Wentz was okay until they got rid of the offensive coordinator. The wrong coach was fired. Or moved, I should say, not fired, but moved. He got an opportunity to coach the Colts, okay? And he yep. took it. Frank's a dear friend of mine. And, um, yeah, I, 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 okay, he may be the guy. And he may help him. But finding that guy is like finding a needle in a haystack. I mean, to those quarterbacks that come out and those quarterbacks that came out in the draft, this is what's going to happen this year. One guy's going to be great. The rest of them are going to stink because the averages tell us that. I mean, look at all the quarterbacks that we – Dwayne Haskins. I heard Joe Klatt say, that guy's going to start right away. I'm like, <laughs> if you take a quarterback from yeah. Ohio State – I heard you talking too, Jody, about North Dakota State. Yeah. I would never in a billion years take a quarterback from Ohio State. Name me one in 131 years of the program's existence that has ever gone to the NFL – and been a star. You know, right, so now, now I got to do this with Cilio. Zero. Quick question for you. When was the last great quarterback that came out of LSU? Joe Burrow. Two years ago. <laughs> Before Joe Burrow. Uh, uh, Burt uh, Jones. Burt Jones. So you got to turn back to 40 years. Burt was good. Did Cincinnati even bat an eye to take Joe Burrow at number one? because there hadn't been a good quarterback at LSU in 40 years? The answer is no. They took him because he was easily the best quarterback. So those who came before a kid in his program, to me, is completely irrelevant. Okay, Justin so Fields is going to be a great player because he's a great player. And you shouldn't think he's not going to be a great player because Dwayne Haskins sucked. That makes no sense to me. Okay, but no, they're, they're have, they have The point is, is that program produces wideouts, running backs, O-linemen. They produce every single one of those positions except that quarterback position. And you know what, too, Jody? Ohio State had the guy. They had the guy in the room. And when Ryan Day and Urban Meyer couldn't evaluate the guy, you know what they told Joe Burrow? Justin Fields and Dwayne <laughs> Haskins is better than you. You're going to have to transfer. They couldn't even get it right in their own room. And the kid's from Ohio. They said, you have to go somewhere else. So what does he do? He does have to go to uh, LSU. Ed Ogeron takes the kid, and the kid wins the Heisman. He wins the national championship, and he's the number one pick. And, Jody, they had the guy. And then they went like this. You're not good enough. How, how do I trust that evaluation when you're sitting there telling me that Justin Fields is going to be a star when they had the better guy in the room? 
I, I just well, I, I would argue, Jim, it's not about the evaluation of, of, of Brian Day or even Urban Meyer. It's about the evaluation of, of the Chicago Bears now who actually drafted Justin Fields because they're going to be the ones responsible for developing the kid. Hey, John, uh, when, are the, when are the Bears ever developed? Nobody. we got to go back to Sid Luckman. But yeah. I will say they just screwed up. Ryan Pace just screwed up with Mitch Trubisky. We all know that. But I do think people – Often in the draft, they say, okay, you hand the card in, that's the player you get. You got to develop the kid. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, Randall Cunningham. Donovan McNabb was pretty good. He might oh, yes. be a skill yes, as sir. well. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. But, borderline, borderline Canton guy, John. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I always point to Donovan. I point to that draft. And what if Tim Couch got or Achilles Smith got with Andy Reid and Donovan didn't? How does that affect things? So, hey, man, when you go to a certain place, man. there is no question, John, where, where where you go, where you get drafted. You know, I was telling the story, guys. When I came out of Miami, I was a three technique. I got up the field like Jerome. We made plays. When I got to the Buccaneers, they asked me to play nose guard. I went – I never freaking played the position in my life. I don't know how to play yeah. nose guard. What do you mean? Hold the guy so, you know, the linebacker makes plays? You got to know this about me and Jerome back in the day. If it was a TV game, we'd look at our linebacker and go, you better buckle up because we're running around blocks. <laughs> it's a TV game. The girls are watching us right now. So, yeah, no, no. It is so important where you get drafted. But to what Jody said, here's what scouts – they notoriously do. Would I would would a guy like me being a scout miss on Jerry Rice being from Mississippi Valley State? Absolutely, I would miss on a guy. But I'm not missing on um, Andre Johnson. I'm not missing on uh, uh, the wide receivers that are the big ones like Julio Jones or any of those guys coming out of the big time programs. What you're doing as a scout is you're trying to limit your failure in the draft. And to me, going down to the Premier League of College Football, the Southeastern Conference. 65 guys got drafted this past weekend from that conference. I got a feeling I'm not going to be wrong. And the percentages of the guys that I draft are going to make it versus me going to Texas A&I. I know I miss Daryl Green. I miss Jerry Rice. John Randall, Texas A&I. John Randall. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I I thought it was Daryl Green went there too. Yeah. So you never know is what I'm saying. John Randall, one of the guys I covered early in my career, Sills, you know, the draft was 12 rounds. Yeah. 12 rounds. Nobody drafted him. He's in Canton. He's in Canton today. So, you know, it can happen, but it's rare. Half the league is later round and undrafted guys. People don't realize that. Half the league is that because, like Coach Johnson said on the show last week, okay, You've got to have guys to be able to manage your salary cap. You can't have all billionaire guys on your roster. That's just not going to work, especially when you're dealing in a salary cap era now. You can't have all those big money guys. There's got to be balance in your cap. The teams that don't have the balance in their cap, you can always tell. There's always an outlier. You know what it is? Their special teams suck. Look at the Cowboys. The Cowboys spend on three dudes, $40 million, $20 million, and $20 million. You're talking – you're talking $100 million of the $85, $185 million salary cap. You even got, haven't even got to your old line yet. Let's just say that's another $30 million. By the time you get off your offense, you're at over $110 million. How are you going to build that sieve of a defense when you have already <laughs> 70% of your salary cap? That's why the Cowboys will suck this year again 
because they didn't fill the holes. Filling holes with draft guys? Okay, watch this. You know, if you ever see Bull Durham, okay, me. Let's see if you could play first, okay? Before we start saying, Mika Parsons, oh, my God, this guy's going to be a trendsetter. Okay, are they going to put him in a 34? Are they going to line him up? Are they going to stand him up? Are they going to put him down? Are they going to move him around? Jalen Smith is overrated. Their special teams will stink because their salary cap is unbalanced. The secret sauce of the Patriots was they never spent any money. I mean, who did they spend money on? Brady took pay cuts. Right. When you went to New England, you didn't make money. You won titles. And Brady did that for New England, and he should yeah. forever get credit for it. He, he does it on the field, and he did it, yes, by being a team player when it came to salary, and that's why they won as many championships. All right, speaking <laughs> of championships, Dan, last thing for me. Let me just get this right. Justin Fields has no chance whatsoever in your mind because he comes from <clears> Ohio <throat> State, and they can't develop quarterbacks, and he's going to the Bears. And they can't develop a quarterback, haven't been able to do it for 70 years. So he is basically doomed in your estimation, correct? Here, here, that's that's half of it. The other half is I saw him against Indiana throw three picks. I saw him in the Big Did you Ten see the Champions. Clemson game in the, in the uh, semifinal game? On, when he on. took a shot to the chest. Oh. And he play. I game saw him. Game. I saw Four him. more touchdown I passes. I saw him in the Indiana game blow out loud in Bloomington. I saw him in the Big 12. Did they I, I win mean, that the game Big, in Bloomington, Dan? Hold on I, I, a somehow I forgot. Did they win that game in Bloomington? Oh, oh, oh they sure did. Oh, but okay. again, <laughs> nice wide open windows in Bloomington. Those things become portholes in the NFL. How did he do in the Big Ten title game against Northwestern? They they sugar ragged him. He didn't play well in that quick, game. Quick, quick question again. Hold on, hold game. on. A memory. I'm not having a memory loss. Did they, they win no, that game? Did they beat Northwestern? Uh, I, I, I have this big memory of them actually he winning that game, game and having a running back hey, that ran for 200 yards. So what hey. was the coach supposed to do? Hey, I want to play. Keep right. hey, 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 John, so I'm going to play. He took uh, a hit. Yeah. He took a hit in the, in the title game. Well, guess yeah. what, big boy? This is the NFL. You won't take some big hits. You got to stand in the pocket and show some courage in there. And you know what? Taking hits? Hey, that's like thanking me for not robbing a bank. This is the <laughs> NFL. You're going to get hit in that league, kid. Yeah. you got to be able to take them hits. Look at the great ones, man. They stand – why Baker Mayfield has struggled all this time? Because he lacks courage in the pocket. He's always willing to take off when something's not going right. Look at all the quarterbacks that lack the courage. Those are the guys that take off running because they can't stand in there. That's why to this day – you have to win championships from the pocket, not from the perimeter. Okay. Now, all right. I'm going to play referee because I'm going to get you guys together. Because I brought up Dwayne Johnson to begin the segment. National Football Show with Dan Celio. I want to talk about your wrestling career, Dan. <laughs> I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Europe. <laughs> I want to talk about Luke Poirier. I want to talk about Rambo. Were you in New Japan Pro Wrestling for a yeah, short period? Hey, okay, okay, okay. So you guys, okay. So wait a minute. I've been a stockbroker with Bear <laughs> Stearns. This, this this is me trying to find my deal, right? Trying to be. I was trying to be a. I, I said I can't sit in front of a Quotron, man. This is not me. Three hours talking to guys, going with. I, I trying to sell waste management. I was like, okay. Well, you so, can cut a promo. So I, was like, I said, hey man. So I get a call from. Cowboy Bob Orton, 
And Bob Orton was running the WCW back in the day. And he goes, hey, come down to Atlanta. I said, okay. He goes, your boy's down here, Vader. And Vader, Leon White, played in yeah, the NFL. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. played with the Rams. God rest his soul and out. And so he goes, hey, you got to try this. You got to try this. So I go to this school. And we have the ultimate warrior there. We have Vader there. We have myself there. And they're training us. The guys gave me a 1000 bucks a week to do this. I'm like, you know. All right, let me get back into this thing here. And so I start doing it. Then I get a call from uh, CWA with Otto Wants overseas. And I go over there, and the Road Warriors had just broken up. So I went over with Road Warrior Hawk. And we went over there, and I spent the entire summer wrestling in Graz, Berlin, Bonn. We went all over, like Hamburg. We went everywhere. And Rambo was there. Rambo yeah. gave me a great picture you saw it the other day when I posted it of, of Rock's dad. And we were just great. I wrestled for the uh, European Championship. I lost it to Rambo. And it was a fun time. Then I got Antonio Inoki to, like, have me come over. I get out there. And, guys, you know, when you're, when you're in front of 100,000 fans, like, with a helmet on at Michigan Stadium, like, kind of under your helmet, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get into Tokyo Dome and you're standing there, Man, your knees are shaking, dude. I'm like, oh, <laughs> good night almighty, man. So I'm doing this, and I started like it. My grandfather comes to me, and he goes, did you graduate? I go, yeah. He goes, pretty smart guy, right? Is this what you're going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> I, I went like this. I, I'm making I'm, I'm making like $8,000 like a week here. And he goes, this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I went like this. I said, so what do you want me to do, quit? He goes, Dude, you look like a dope. And I went like this, and I said this, and I went, I go, God, I should never listen to my grandfather, man, because I always wondered. I was moving up, man. They were they yeah. were moving me up, and then Eric Bischoff called me and stuff, and they wanted me to try to do it. And I know Mongo's struggling. I wrestled with him a little yeah. bit in Atlanta, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I did it for a little bit, man. It was How about this? It was the hardest thing that I ever did in my entire life because if people think that that ring is soft – it's not. If they think those ropes are easy, they're not. And I'll tell you what, it's like being a stunt dummy, man. It, it, it's a lot of pain, especially yeah. when you've played a little bit of pro football. Yeah, and everybody I, everybody I've ever talked to who's played pro football and wrestled said wrestling oh, was tougher on their body. Oh, my Every God. Single one of them. Hey, hey, John, it, I, I when you do that and I have so much – look, you know the gimmick – Okay, they tell you the gimmick. They tell you what to do. You guys have to feel kind of like the middle. That middle is what gets you, man. I mean, getting up every day to do that, I, I really give those guys – like Cactus Jack is the greatest bump wrestler in the history of wrestling. This guy jumps off top ropes. He jumps off the top of the cage. He jumps on the glass. I have <laughs> never seen a better wrestler that will take the bumps for you than him. He's, he's the greatest of all time at it. That that lends me to my last question, and we're running late, so I got to get this one in here before we let you go. Who's the biggest, for lack of a better word, a hole douche uh, who who just didn't care that you were going to take the bump? That they didn't know how to uh, pull and fade and uh, do the right thing, <laughs> get you over and and make you look good. No, no, I'm just going to slam you. I don't care what you uh, kind of pain that you endure. Who is the wrestler you had the worst time with after the fact and go, you know what you just did to me? 
who just didn't do it right to make sure that you both walked out of the ring okay. This guy was hard on new dudes. And every single time that you wrestled him and you got into the ring with this guy, God, man, it, oh, Ric Flair was so hard on the new dudes. Now, wow. if you wait a minute now, if you knew him, yeah. uh, really, really worked with you, but he worked over the young dudes, man. He he worked them over, like because you know why we were always stiff. And as soon as you got hooked, as soon as you got on Rick, and he felt you being stiff with him because everybody was nervous. One, you're wrestling Ric Flair. Yeah. Okay. So to me, Jody, it was the fact that as soon as you he maybe I look at it more, Jody. He was trying to teach us a lesson. That okay. Hey, okay, that listen, if you're going in and you're going in hard like that on him, he's gonna go back hard on you because he's 10 times more experienced. So if I had to say, he he just every time I wrestled him, man. How was, was the chop, Dan? How was what? the chop? How was the chop? I was taking the chop. Oh, he was great at it, man. That yeah. you know what? After a while I got in there with him, he was he started to be a little bit lighter on me with it, but it was fantastic. He's he's such a pro, but the young guys he beat us up. Dan, we'll uh, do a whole segment of wrestling with you. We're going to have you back on. You're talking to two uh, wrestling idiots, two major fans here. So uh, football will always be number one, but you know we're always going to bring up wrestling whenever we get you on again. Uh, What time does the new show air again? Four to six Eastern time time, each and every single day right here on Jacob Media. And guys, I really appreciate it. John, I follow you. You know that. And Jody, I know, man, hey, look, you go all the way back to – New York, Philly, you guys go back and forth, and you ping pong back and forth. I'll tell you something, John. He's boys with a guy that I'm not boys with. His name is Mark Chernoff, but we'll keep it there. (laughs) Fair enough. Dan, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on with us today. Best of luck with the show. We will be in touch again soon enough. You got it. Thank you, guys. That is Dan Filio, the host of the National Football Show here on the Jacob Media channel. He is John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We're running late. We'll come back. We'll put a bow on the show. Keep it right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Mac and Mac guys, coming back to a wrap up an edition of. Birds 365. First things first. Uh, we thank Dan Cilio for coming on with us. He's a West Coast guy, so he's getting up before 7 o'clock in the morning to hop on our show, which is a pretty cool thing for him to do. Number two, how cool is it that he gets The Rock to uh, tune into his show and tell others to tune into the show? How cool is it that he got to wrestle with Ric Flair and Ric Flair could be a jerk if you didn't handle your time in the ring with Ric Flair? Uh, the Miami stories were great. The one thing he's just woefully wrong about Justin yeah. and his stance of, well, you've got to judge a quarterback by those who came before him at that university. I, I could have gone there with him on this one, too. I'll go with you, Mac man. Give me the great Texas Tech quarterbacks prior to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, first thing they tell you in scouting school, don't scout the helmet. Great players can come from everywhere. That's why I brought up John Randall from. Texas A&I, Hall of Famer, didn't even get drafted in 12 rounds. It happens. It, it happens rarely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they come from all over. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not Justin Fields' fault that Dwayne Haskins didn't do a good job in Washington. I mean, right. yeah, it just is what it is. Exactly. Dan's a cool guy. Seems like yeah. a pretty smart guy. Great promo, too. Great promo. Woefully wrong about you draft your quarterbacks or make your decisions on your quarterback by who played the position. By the way, that's why I'm not blaming North Dakota State on Trey Lance. And by the way, Carson Wentz was a hit, but we got to get out of here. That Um, was a hit of a draft pick. Yeah, but the the pain is still it's still an open sore at this time. If you want to tell me four, five, six years from now. We'll have forgotten. We'll be able to longingly look back and go, hey, you know, Carson Wentz draft pick, it ended badly. But overall, take a look at the offer. Yeah. yeah. A- after a while, you might be able to go there. Not now. You yeah. couldn't go there this draft. You just couldn't do that with him, in my opinion. Uh, part of a good show today. We got a good one uh, coming up tomorrow. Adam Kaplan's going to join us. And uh, your uh, sports doctor from Boston. Yeah, Dr. Well. Flynn, she'll be here. Uh, Adam Kaplan, as you mentioned. So we keep rolling along. Some great guests this week. We're going to keep it going for you. Christian mm-hmm. Rogers next week. 
really to join up yeah very good uh you're doing well on uh, sprucing up the show a little bit uh johnny mac and i will be back in 22 hours from now we appreciate you tuning in here to us on birds 365 you got the middle guys coming up and then dan a little bit later before you know we'll be right back here on the jacob media channel thanks for watching birds 365 if you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.